Are you ready for some controversy? Well, the end of Mark 16, verses 9 through 20, is a debated text. It's debated because scholars disagree as to whether or not it's actually legitimate or original. And then it's controversial because of the content that we find within the passage. Although there's a lot of content that we can cross-reference and see that it is original. But it is a debated text. It's controversial. And you're going to have to put on your thinking cap for this study on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Justin's disciple, Tatian, who wrote the first harmony of the Gospels, first one ever written called the Diatessaron, quoted from the long ending, verses 9 through 20, in about A.D. 170. This is about 150 years before the early Greek manuscripts that we appeal to that don't have the verses. The older, uh, thus, the older manuscripts do contain the longer ending, and William Lane argues that the longer ending was in circulation by the middle of the second century, that's about 150 A.D., while its composition should be assigned to the first half of the second century, early 100s, Tertullian quotes from the long ending. He quotes Mark 16:9 and 2:15 A.D. And Hippolytus quotes it tw- from it twice. He quotes from Mark 16:18 and 19 in 2:35 A.D. All right, everybody, take a breath. <sighs> so you can see that this is why these verses are debated. There are actually two other endings attested in a few manuscripts. There is one ending that is found in one manuscript. They call it the shorter ending, and it reads this way. It omits, they said nothing to anyone in verse 8, and it reads like this. And they went out and fled from the tomb from trembling and astonishment. Trembling and astonishment had gripped them. Conveying that they fled because they were afraid is the idea. But... Quoting now, they reported briefly to Peter, this is one version that we've discovered, uh, to Peter and those with him that uh, all they had been told, and after this, Jesus himself sent out by means of them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. And when writers look at that, they say, "Mm, that may have been a well-meaning scribe trying to finish it out based upon other evidences that we have, but it doesn't necessarily ring true with the way the Bible's typically written. The so-called shorter ending would convey that the copy of Mark that lay before this particular author ended with chapter 16, verse 8, that no other ending was known. And in order to round out this ending, this was placed there to give explanation. Perhaps it was a scribal note that at some point crept into the text. Remember, When you're looking at early manuscripts, they did not have chapter and verse breaks until about 1,500 years later. So you don't have, you know, chapter 1, verse 22. So that's why when something is there, even if it was a scribal note, it could be that someone took it as the actual authentic text. Note, often variant readings are identified this way so that it becomes clear by cross-comparing thousands of manuscripts what might be a a scribal gloss or what's called a variant reading. And we can get back to the original. There is one ancient manuscript, and we'll be done with the technical part in just a minute. There is one ancient manuscript that has uh, another ending, what they call a medium-length ending. 
shorter than the longer ending, but longer than the shorter ending. <laughs> and all God's people said, I need coffee. <laughs> Afterward, here's the medium length ending. Afterward, when the 11 reclined at meal, Jesus appeared to them and upbraid, upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after his resurrection. And they made excuse saying, quote, this age of iniquity and unbelief is under Satan, who through unclean spirits does not permit the true power of God to be apprehended. Therefore, reveal your righteousness now. The, the Greek text of this fragment was supplied in a more complete form in the fifth century. And then they discovered an, a manuscript in 1906 in Egypt, which uh, had a, a version of it as well. And so this is how Jesus responds to this particular version only in one manuscript. And the Messiah said to them that the limit of the year of the authority of Satan has been fulfilled, but the other terrible things are drawing near. And on behalf of those who have sinned, I was delivered to death in order that they might turn to the truth and sin no more, in order that they might inherit the spiritual and incorruptible glory which is in heaven, which consists in righteousness, close quote. And authors and scholars that look at that say, that's not the typical way that Mark writes. That's not the typical way that the apostles and Jesus spoke to one another. I don't think so. It's only in one manuscript. So there you go. So you say, Pastor Michael, okay. What do you believe about this? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. When you look at the case against and for, it's, it's a little bit tough. And some of the content that I see in these verses is questionable. I will say this without revealing to you my answer, because <laughs> I'm still wrestling with it. I'll say this. Take these verses in light of the other gospel accounts and make sure that you don't build doctrine on a controversial section. But I will say this to you. When you look at verses 9 through 20, which we will briefly in the next few moments, you're going to see that most of the content that's there is in the other gospels, with a few exceptions. So let's take a look and see what we've got. Now, after Mark 16, 9, he had risen, uh, uh, risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Now, Luke tells us that this was the case. Mary Magdalene is all over the other gospel accounts as the first witness of the resurrection. So this is nothing surprising and nothing new. If you want just to write this down, and for the sake of time, I can't go to all these texts, but just write down John 20, look at verses 10 through 21, and you'll see... Uh, confirmation that Mary Magdalene was the first one. Remember, she's weeping at the tomb, and she thinks it's the gardener. And she says, sir, just tell me where you've laid him. And he says, why are you weeping? And then all of a sudden, he says, Miriam to her. And she says, Rabboni, remember? And so she wants to cling on to him. And that's all recorded in this section in John 20, verses 10 through 21. And she's instructed to go and tell uh, her brethren uh, about what she has seen and she goes back and reports uh, what she's testified to she says I've seen the Lord and they they don't believe her testimony they don't believe the women but they go off running to the tomb and I think most of us know the rest of the story story she went and reported to those verse 10 mark 16 who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping now that's a little bit of a new insight from mark 16 she goes and reports to them while they're mourning and weeping. I don't think it would be surprising for us to find that they were mourning and weeping in these three days. They had certainly gone through the hardest time of their lives. 
So that's what Mark's gospel tells us. She goes in, she reports to them, verse 10. They're crying, weeping. You can imagine Peter, you know, I'm sure that he had, uh, he didn't just stop crying after that night when he went out and wept bitterly. I'm sure that he had probably crying fits. You know, when people are in grief and mourning, sometimes all of a sudden it just hits you and you cry. So I don't find anything surprising here. And when they heard that he was alive, verse 11, and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. Well, that's nothing new. Uh, Luke 24 says these words, just write down 9 through 12. Uh, it says, Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and also other women with them, were telling these things to the apostles. Luke 24, 11 says, And these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. They would not believe. Now they went off running to the tomb. Peter and John did, and John went in and believed, and Peter looked around. So this is something that is confirmed by the other gospel writers, and they, the, at first they refused to believe. Now after that, verse 12, Mark 16, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. These are the two men on the road to Emmaus. And we know this story, it's familiar to a lot of us. It's recorded in Luke 24. You could look at verses 13 through 35. They're walking away. It's about a two-hour walk. It's about seven miles from the events that happen in Jerusalem. And Jesus comes walking up, remember? And they didn't recognize him. And they're talking, and he says, what are you guys talking about? Oh, we're talking about what happened to Jesus of Nazareth. Where have you been, stranger, right? And what things, right? And so all of a sudden, you know, they say, well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth and, you know, all that happened to him. And finally, he says these words in Luke 24. He says, oh, foolish men, how foolish you are, NIV, how dull you are, NEB, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer uh, these things and enter into his glory? Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory, says Jesus? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Remember that? What a Bible study. We all want to be there, right? Oh, what did he go back to? What did he expound on? And so he gave them this Bible study as they went along. And of course, oops, they asked him to stay and uh, he agreed. They said, stay with us. And it came about that when he, they he had reclined at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began to give it to them. And that would have brought back some, a lot of memories for them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them. And they said, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate the experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. So again, Luke's gospel does tell us that this did happen and that they encountered these, uh, these two encountered the risen Christ and they go back and give testimony. Now, let's look at Mark 16, verse 13. They went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them. Now, that, that seems odd, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's, there's already a mention of them. 
Hey folks, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, and we'll be back to the message in just a moment. We've been doing a Sunday night service called 633, and in it, we've been looking at a subject called the dark dangers of the occult. The occult speaks of that which is hidden, secret, literally occluded, behind the veil. People are fascinated with these subjects, but God warned in both the Old and New Testament that the occult is something that is forbidden and even dangerous. We want you to have access to these resources to teach you more about the occult so you can tell people who are dabbling in it or messing with it about the hope and the love and the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. You can access this information at our website, walkintruth.com. They went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them. Now that, that seems odd, doesn't it? I mean, it's, there's already a mention of an appearance to Peter. How could they not believe at this point? But in Matthew 28, even when they're in Galilee and Jesus appears, it says these words. Tell you what, take a peek. Just go back to Matthew 28, the very end of Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew 28, look at verse 16. This is in the setting of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But Matthew 28, 17 says what? But some were what? Oh, wait, what? What? He's appeared over a period of 40 days. He's testifying to the kingdom of God. He's invited you guys to touch his wounds, to see the wound prints in his side. He goes up to the mountain he's designated. He's there before you, and some say, I don't know. Are you kidding me? You might say, but look, this is the very humanness of the early followers of Christ. There was a lot of skeptics in the room, even when he was there before them. Are you a skeptic? How many of you want to admit it? A little skeptical. A lot skeptical. It's okay. I'm a bit skeptical too. I like evidence. I like to look at things and see how it weighs out. Well, even with Jesus in front of them, some were doubting. So uh, it may not be all of them. Of course, Peter had seen the risen Christ. Go back to Mark 16. So maybe it was some of them. We do know about doubting Thomas that we call him. But of course, then he believed when Jesus invited him to touch the wounds. So let's pick it up in verse 14. Mark 16, 14 says, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And Mark 16, 14, he reproached or rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, I don't think that this is troubling either. I mean, the two men on the road to Emmaus are rebuked for their unbelief. And so Jesus comes, they're reclining at the table. Uh, that's the position of eating. And he finds them and he rebukes them for their unbelief. Now turn to Luke to your right, Luke 24, Luke 24. Here's what Luke records as one of the appearances of Christ to the apostles. Luke 24, look at verse 36. This is still within the story of the road to Emmaus experience. 24, 36. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. How many of you have seen, uh, have seen the movie Risen? Raise up your hand. Did you see that movie? 
So you remember the Roman character? He's the Roman, Roman, I think he's the centurion in the story. Do you remember when he walks into the room and he sees Jesus there and he had watched Jesus die on the cross? And he's, he finds himself, he's up against the wall and he sees Jesus and he knew his face and he sees the nail prints in his hands and he, he's up against the wall and he's totally skeptical, hardened soldier. And when he sees him, he just slides down the wall and Jesus kind of just smiles at him. It's a very poignant moment in the film. And, you know, can you imagine what these guys must have felt like when they saw him? And they saw him on multiple occasions. This is what's called by scholars multiple attestation. It, it attested uh, by multiple witnesses on multiple occasions. So while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. But when they were startled and frightened, and it seems like he just showed up, he disappeared, then he showed up, and thought they were seeing a spirit and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do what? Doubts arise in your hearts. Why don't you believe? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. Luke 24, 39. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Now there are some modern movements, some cults that say that there was no physical resurrection. They say when Jesus appeared, he was a spirit. He didn't leave footprints. He was some sort of ghost or phantom, but he wasn't physical. I'm sorry, but read your Bible again because he says a spirit, verse 39, does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He was alive. He was physical. And his resurrection body is a prototype of yours. And I have some really good news for all of us. As we continue to read in the Gospel of Luke, I want you to see what happens next. So he invites them to touch him. And while they still not could, uh, 41, they could not believe it for joy and were marveling. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? Now he's in the resurrection body. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. And all kinds of people said, yes! We get to eat in the resurrection. Look. I don't know what excites you, okay? But for me, this is a piece of evidence that is exhilarating. Because I've heard people tell stories that you could eat pizza, and I'm not talking about the diet portions, the fake cheese and stuff. No, 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 no. I'm talking about real food. I'm talking about not 31 flavors, baby. But how about 3,031? I don't know. He ate. This is not some visionary experience. This is not some hallucination, as some have tried to argue. Maybe they hallucinated. No, Jesus is physical, tangible. This is historical reality. Jesus was really there. It was his real body that really had come out of the tomb. Amen? Amen. And he ate it before them, and they watched him. And they had to be marveling. Wow. Wow. They'd seen him eat before, but now he's in the resurrection, right? All right, back to Mark, and we'll finish it. 16. By the way, we are going to prepare our hearts for communion at the end of this message, so we have to move quickly. And he said to them, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In Luke, he says, 
Repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm sending you out. In Matthew 28, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Look, this is another form of the Great Commission, very much attested in the Gospels. He says, And he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Okay, controversy number one. He who, verse 16, has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. The uh, churches, uh, one of the churches of Christ that believes that baptism is necessary for salvation has this as one of their evidence verses. They say, see, the Bible teaches you must be baptized to be saved. But notice the second part, part B of 16. He who has disbelieved shall be condemned. The second half does not say he who is not baptized is condemned, but simply says he who has been who disbelieved shall be condemned. So I'll say this. We all know, we've studied the book of Romans recently, that justification is by faith through grace. It is not that baptism saves you. But I'll say this to you. In the book of Acts, we see people hear the truth and get baptized very quickly. And if you have not been baptized, I have a question for you, and that is why. In the early church, baptism was so closely associated to the receiving of Christ as Lord and Savior, it happened almost immediately in many cases, that it became the marker or the witness that you were part of the believing community. But I will say this on the reverse end, that the Bible does not teach that baptism saves you. It teaches that Christ saves you. Baptism is the first act of obedience. You should be baptized. Jesus commanded that we baptize people. However, this is what makes these verses controversial. And then it gets a little bit more controversial. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. Now, I'm just going to say to you, that's not surprising. The disciples did that in the Gospels. In Acts 16, 18, Paul cast out a demon out of a servant girl. They will speak with new tongues. Well, that's all over the book of Acts. Acts 2.4 on the day of Pentecost, verse 11. Acts 10.46 in the house of Cornelius. And Acts 19.6, I think it's in Ephesus with some disciples. They all speak with new tongues or speak in tongues. That's seen in the book of Acts. And they will pick up serpents. Hmm. Now, there's only one case I know of in the book of Acts. Paul's on the island of Malta. The ship has uh, wrecked. He's picking up sticks to make a fire. The, there was extraordinary kindness shown by the locals there, which was quite unusual. If you shipwrecked on an island, they would often kill you and take your stuff. That was the mercy of God. Paul's picking up sticks and a viper attached onto his, his hand. And he shook off the viper into the fire. And the locals were watching him, waiting for him to swell up and die. And they, they said to one another, oh, this is a bad man. Even though he survived the shipwreck, the gods have not allowed him to live, and a snake has now bitten him, and well, let's just watch him swell up and die. But they watched Paul for a while, and nothing happened to him. And then they said, he must be a god. Talk about fickleness, right? You go from, he's a horrible dude, to he's a god. <laughs> That's the only case I know of that I can think of in the New Testament. But as I mentioned, there are some groups that have taken this that they should be snake handling in their actual services and the snake handling practices of a Pentecostal pastor in Kentucky killed him 
as he was bitten by a rattlesnake during a weekend service. Um, I have a note here that it's estimated that 125 churches in the United States use poisonous snakes during services today, with many of them clustered in the south. They do what's called snake handling. They do this based solely upon this verse in Mark 16, which, you know, is a way, even if this verse is authentic, it could point to the Apostle Paul on a mission where God preserves his life. But I don't think it makes the case that someone should test the Lord. Everybody with me? So you might be on a mission somewhere, and look, at the end of, um, in the middle of verse 18, it says they will, they, if they drink anything, any deadly poison, or New King James says anything deadly. One, one person I was listening to on this said, this could speak of water in regions where they had to drink the water and it could hurt them. So it may not speak of poison, but it could speak of uh, polluted water or unsanitary water. If you've heard stories of people who've gone to Mexico and drank the water, don't drink the water, man, <laughs> right? They call that Montezumas, right? So um, the locals may not be troubled by the water, but you might. So it may speak of protection as they went on their mission trip in the book of Acts and they had to drink the water. We have stories of people today in third world countries, they have to drink dirty, unsanitized water. And sometimes it hurts them. Well, maybe this is a promise that they will be protected, but this is not a promise to test the Lord. You don't do that. You don't go up to the platform, do, 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 and chunk. Don't, and then they refuse medical attention. It may be that the Lord's saying, I'll protect you as long as I want you on the planet as you're doing mission, but don't test the Lord. So when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven. This, uh, of course, is another version of the ascension we see in the other gospels. And he sat down at the right hand of God. That's all over the Bible. It's from Psalm 110, verse one, the most quoted verse from the Old Testament in the New Testament. And finally... And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by, by the signs that followed them. Certainly, uh, that was the case. He confirmed his word all over the place in the book of Acts. He confirmed the word by the signs that followed them. And then you have an alternate ending again in brackets if you have the New American Standard at the end. And so there's the evidence. They went out and they began to preach. And they preach the gospel, the everlasting gospel, that Jesus Christ is alive. And he is. Hey, folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession and we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft, and there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to today's program. Follow Walk in Truth when you download the free Radio Scribe app today.